0: Mark Lowey is a well-known Christian artist, a vocalist, comedian, and a storyteller, a southern gospel performer who laces comedy in between songs when he sings at his concerts. And as a baritone, he learned very early on in his musical career that people would not clap at his concerts. You see, a lot of his concerts were performed among a crowd of Baptist people and in Baptist churches. And in many of people in those traditions don't believe that clapping... Uh, during any kind of worship or songs or any of that sort of thing is, uh, is, is necessarily glorifying to God, but it's glorifying to people. And, and so they choose not to do that. And of course, there wouldn't be much hand raising that would go on in those times uh, as well either. And so he came to the conclusion that people would laugh in between his songs so there would be segues there in case, uh, you know, so there wasn't just dead spots. Uh, between his songs. Well, a 1980 graduate of Liberty University with a music degree and having ADD, attention deficit disorder, uh, made Mark Lowry hyperactive in his early childhood. And as a Christian concert artist for uh, over 40 years, interestingly, he's known more now for his storytelling than for anything else. And during his career, he actually had joined up with the Gaithers uh, in two long segments, traveling and performing with them from 1988 to 2001, and then from 2009 again, a second segment till 2013. Well, growing up in Texas in the Southern Baptist tradition, Lowry recalls one particular Sunday morning, uh, responding to the preacher's invitation to receive Solomonic worship or wisdom, excuse me. Uh, and so he went to the altar. He said, "I need wisdom." So he asked God that day for wisdom. But while he was at the altar, he asked God for two more things. Number one, God, let me live an interesting life. This is a teenager. Let me live an interesting life, which that has proven to be true uh, over and over again. That prayer has been answered many times since then in the last 50 years or so. And then the second prayer he asked is that he would like to do something in his lifetime That would live beyond him. Something that would last, outlast him. So we fast forward a decade, and this new Bible College graduate is now working at Thomas Road Baptist Church, which, by the way, Pastor Nathan, who's our youth pastor up here and is filling in temporarily during the search process for a worship pastor, he's filling in a couple times a month leading worship here. He's a graduate of Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and many thousands and thousands and thousands of people graduate there every year. So after your regular uh, ordinary speeches and those things by people you break out to, your uh, various different schools. The schools of engineering or the schools of you know human services or whatever it is. And the school of religion had their awarding of diplomas and stuff at Thomas Road Baptist Church. So Nathan was, that's where he received his diploma eight and a half years ago. Well Dr. Jerry Falwell was the pastor back then in 1980 and he asked Lowry to develop the programming for their annual Christmas uh, uh, services. Because they would do these outreaches in the community uh, on an, in, during certain nights of the month of December. So Lowry would begin these services with secular Christmas songs in these nightly meetings, and then they would move to Christian and spiritual songs, and then there would be monologues. And one monologue he wrote was, I wonder if Mary realized the power and the authority and the majesty she cradled in her arms that first Christmas. Another he wrote is, I wonder if Mary realized those little fingers that wrapped around hers were the same fingers that scooped out the oceans and formed the rivers and that those feet were the ones who had walked on the streets of gold and who had brushed up against angels. And then he said, did she realize that the little boy she delivered that first Christmas one day on a cross, would deliver her. That was another one of his monologues. And Lowry said, I will never forget the spirit chills that came over me when I wrote those lyrics because I had not heard this before. Deliver and deliver. And then he wrote, when she kissed the little baby, she was kissing the face of God. Reverend Falwell would re-quote parts of this monologue before giving the invocation to come to Christ each night of the performance. Well, Lowry polished up these lyrics by 1984, within the next four years, and he carried them around with him until 1991. Then one weekend when he was on tour with with the Gaither uh, group, uh, and they were traveling, he turned to his fellow uh, gospel, southern gospel singer, Buddy Green, and he put, and he, and, he, and he gave him the song. And he asked him if he could put it to music. And within a week, Green had called Lowry on the phone, and he sang for the very first time to him, Mary, Did You Know? This song has since been recorded by more than 30 artists including Donny Osmond, Natalie Cole, Kenny Rogers, Zach Williams, and Pentatonics, to just name a few. There are just so many versions, it's amazing, says Lowry. Michael English recorded it first, then Kathy Maltia, then Kathleen Battle. So it went from being a contemporary Christian song to country, to opera, and even today there is a disco version of it. Mark Lowry is grateful to leave something behind that will have an impact for eternity. You know many modern Bible scholars believe that God has single-handedly thawed the cold war between Catholics and Protestants over Mary the mother of Jesus just because of this song. And on account of this we're focusing this Advent season on what Mary knew and experienced in the coming of our Savior Jesus at that first Christmas. We are naming this series after this famous song asking the question, Mary did you know And each week of this series, including at our Christmas Eve service, which is the climax of the Advent season, we are asking one of the young ladies in our church to sing this song, Mary, Did You Know? to prime the pump of our worship and to get us reflecting and thinking during times for our message as Gracie sang it for us here this morning. And as we conduct this sermon series, I'm going to ask you to set aside any preconceived notions that you may have regarding Mary, some of which may be positive. Others may be negative as having come from your background in Roman Catholicism. Set aside any Mary worship any non-biblical notions of perpetual virginity, any overt devotion to Mary, any so-called Marian dogmas and Mariology itself. Please know that Mary was not a Roman Catholic. What she was is the earliest believer in Jesus, thus one of the church's first followers of Christ. Now, from our perspective as Protestants and Evangelical Christians, we believe that The Bible is God's word. And because Mary is in the Bible, and of course she's the mother of Jesus, and she's the main character in the birth narrative besides the Holy Spirit, she becomes very important to us. So we need to learn about her. We need to understand and believe what the Bible has to say about Mary. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In the fullness of time, when this completed frame of time had come. And timing can be crucial. Things can come down to split-second timing in the swinging of a baseball bat to hit a ball. They can come down to split-second timing in the jumping up to catch a touchdown pass in the end zone. And when I count down 10, 9, 8... Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You're not just sitting there thinking, hey, it's nice to know Pastor can count at least to 10 or from 10 on down. No, you're thinking, it's a liftoff. Some space shuttle or some rocket is being launched. We have liftoff. Or it's the end of the year and we're counting down the end of the year to the beginning of the new year. Good timing can make the difference between an interesting story or joke and a boring one. And boy, is timing ever important when it comes to cooking. You know, uh, undercooking food is never a good thing. It can be dangerous, risky to our health. Overcooking food is... Is also pretty bad because it can destroy the taste of food and make it really difficult to chew kind of unpalatable in many respects and I don't know of anybody in my life that enjoys the announcement at supper time by the uh, smoke detector that they have burnt offerings for supper that evening you know timing is everything and good timing when it comes to agriculture or simple gardening is is necessary if we plant too soon in the spring A late frost can destroy our crop. If we wait too long to get the seeds in the ground, the plants won't mature for harvest time before winter comes. And sometimes in life we time things out very well. Sometimes we're not very good at our timing. Well, one of the things that we're going to learn today is what Christmas's first participant Mary learned. God's timing is perfect. When the fullness of time had come, when all of history had been arranged for this very moment, when every single prophecy that was required to be declared was declared, God in his flawless timing sent his Son. And remember, God is the one who created time in the first place. Now there are three aspects here to these two verses that we're going to wrestle with and consider today. The first one we've already uh, 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 at, at least mentioned when the fullness of time came. The second is right from our reading, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And the third is to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sonship. So let's unpack each one of these. The first one, of course, is time. Let's discuss time. God created it. And the Genesis accounts teach us that God in his creation had created three things. God created matter. Everything you see in this world, that's matter. The earth itself, everything. God created matter. God also created space. Everything that you see out there that's open. Everything within our atmosphere. Everything that's out in space itself. Where all the the stars and the planet, everything God created space. All of that. And God created time. He created night and he created day. A 24 hour period. 7 days a week. 52 days weeks a year. 365 uh, uh, days in a year. Then we come over turn the calendar over to a a new uh, year. And prior to creation the creating the earth which rotates on its axis and revolves around the sun before that There was no such thing as time. Just God eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And please understand this as well about time. Since God has created it, it is also limited. It will come to an end as we know it when the Lord returns. When the Lord comes back, All the clocks are going to stop. You're going to have to check, is pastor going to get done on time today? You don't have to look at your watch like, how are we doing here for time? You don't have to do that. All clocks are going to stop. Calendars are going to cease to function and there will only be eternity. So please grasp that God created time for a very specific reason. And this was something Mary was able to experience firsthand. God did this so that his will, his purpose and his plan would be accomplished, and the Greek word here in Galatians chapter four, verse four, is the Greek word chronos. Now, our tendency when we would think of the birth of Christ would be to think even along the lines of when there's a, a birth in our families, whether it was our own children or our grandchildren. Uh, those are such special moments in time. In fact, you can probably, when your children are born, remember special things even in the birthing room, or the, you know, visually you can recall these events because they were such. Special moments in time. Or like when a person gets married. You know, that is such a significant, special moment in time. You can remember details about that. You can't remember what you ate for lunch yesterday. Okay? So, So that's special moments in time. And the Bible has a Greek word for that called kairos. Okay? Kairos are those special moments in time. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, that we are to redeem the time. Making the most of every opportunity because it says there the days are evil. What that's saying is make most of the opportunities, those special moments, those kairos moments that you have in time because we don't have forever and we need to tell people about Jesus. We need to impact the world for Jesus. We need to make, you know, make, you know, uh, use these special opportunities that we have to the glory of God. But the thing you need to understand here is in Galatians chapter four, verse four, even though that would be our tendency to understand it that way, It's not the word that's used. It's not kairos. It's not talking about the specialty of that moment, even though there's a lot of things that are very special about the birth of Christ. It's talking here about the duration of time, describing that God fulfilled everything that he had planned throughout human history in the world to this point so then Jesus would be born. There's nothing accidental. There's nothing that occurred that was haphazard. Nothing about that. Christ came at exactly the right moment. And there was tremendous preparation in place for Christ to come in the flesh. Now thinking back to Genesis for a moment about the accounts of Adam and Eve and thinking about the offspring of theirs that they were told about in in Genesis chapter 3 who would crush the serpent's head. Remember that when they were told that? Do you think that they they thought that was a child that was going to be born directly to them, to Eve? and not to a virgin over some 4,000 years later? Or how about if we move closer to Christ's birth? Do you think that the Jewish people were happy that Rome had conquered them and that Rome was using uh, an infidel like Herod to rule over them? Many must have wondered if God would even fulfill his promise of a Messiah when the Gentiles were ruling over them like that. And then, think about Joseph and Mary, hearing the decree from Caesar Augustus about having to go back home to the hometown and be counted, being part of the census and being taxed. I mean, Mary's nearly full term. Pregnancy, you know, talk about bad timing. This was no time for her to be traveling and the timing couldn't be worse. What a bad time to go to little old Bethlehem. Everybody's left there, they've moved away. Yeah, a lot of people have been born there, but now they're coming back and everybody's looking for a hotel room. Everybody wants a place to stay. This is not the time of year we should be camping out on a rock. You know, we, my wife's pregnant. She's full term. We, we can't do this. You know, talk about bad timing. Good luck trying to find a room. I mean, you might as well come up on, you know, grandma's marathon weekend uh, to the Twin Ports here. And on, you know... Without any reservations, just go around and see if you can get yourself a hotel room during that weekend when tens of thousands of people pour into the Twin Ports. You'd be better off finding a room in a barn. And that's exactly what we see happening here. All things associated with it seemed like the timing was completely off. We're going to talk about this more later in our series, but please know that not only did God's perfect timing work out 2,000 years ago, but it also works out Every single day of your life in Christ Jesus. Hold that thought as we're going to be returning to it. Now Warren Worsby writes, historians tell us that the Roman world was in great expectation. Waiting for a deliverer at the time Jesus was born. The old religions were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless to change people's lives. Strange new mystery religions were invading the Roman Empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere. God was preparing the world for his son. The inadequacy of human wisdom was so evident. In Old Testament times, there were brilliant men of profound learning, insight, and even scientific knowledge, especially among the Greeks who preceded the Romans and from whom the Romans developed much of their culture. There were brilliant Greek philosophers, architects, deep thinkers, many of which we still study. We still reference and we even quote today. And their contributions to the world proved to be very important. But there was one problem they couldn't solve. The problem of sin. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Horatio, and the like were helpless when it came to resolving the problem of sin and the problem of evil. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Uh, regarding this in First Corinthians chapter 1 in verses 22 to 25. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for f- the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Jesus is the answer of this lifelong search for the problem of sin and the problem of evil and the timing was right for the coming of Christ. You know, the Roman Empire at the time was vast it contained one-fourth of the world's population. And you literally could travel from country to country. And sometimes you could travel on paved roads. And, and the shipping was even uh, wonderful during that time. For that era and that period of time, there had been nothing like that in human history. You also had a common language. Now, if you travel to many parts of the world, like just say you went to uh, certain European countries right now, you can cross over the border from one country to another, like going to Minnesota, and you can speak a different language or going to Michigan and you're speaking a different language in just that short distance you can be speaking three different languages but there was a common language the koine greek language as well as the latin language so there was ways for people to communicate like never before in human history there was also as i've already mentioned a hunger for god because the greek and the roman gods up to that point hadn't satisfied People And then the fourth issue was what's known as Pax Romana. You had the peace of Rome. Because there was a law enforcement, because they had military outposts and everything, there was safety and security. People could live their lives freely. And so the gospel was able to advance freely like that. Now consider different parts of the world, wherever there's been civil strife, it hinders the advancement of the gospel because it's hard. Africa is a prime example. You know, for 120 years or so, Africa has been a raging inferno instead of, in, in the sense of the gospel spreading. It's just remarkable how the good news of Jesus has spread throughout the continent of Africa. However, anytime any one of those nations faces a civil war or civil strife, it hinders the work of the gospel makes it difficult we've even lost missionaries because they were killed in some of those civil conflicts trying to flee it shuts down missionary work and shuts down the work of the churches in each of these nations to a degree and it's really an unsafe time take central and south america right now with all the drug trafficking and the drug cartels and it there's places and times it's it's difficult for the gospel to advance so the peace of Rome, Pax Romana, was, was like no other time. God's timing is perfect. It's flawless. And after all, God is the one who created time, so God has no trouble managing time. And I, God also is the one who orchestrated all the events of Christ's birth. As our text tells us here, that Jesus was born of a woman. He was conceived of an unmarried gal named Mary. And this, is, by the way, is important. Had Jesus been born to two earthly parents, like all of us have been, he would have inherited a completely human nature and th- thus inherited the sin of Adam. But he was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. The sin of Adam is imputed. So mankind needed a second Adam to overcome that original sin, the sin of the first. And as to Jesus' divine nature, Jesus has a father, but not a mother. And as to his earthly nature, he has a mother, but he did not have an earthly father In the natural way. Graciously and amazingly, too, as we learn from Mary's Magnificat, which we're going to study here in the next couple of weeks in Luke chapter 1, God brought his proposal to Mary of this immaculate conception, not to force it on her, this is what's going to happen, Mary, you don't have a choice, this is what I'm going to do. He didn't, but to receive her consent, to which she heartily agreed, may it be so. And he was born under the law. Meaning that he fulfilled all the requirements of the law, though he was a king. You know, uh, kings are above the law. Kings make the laws. And Jesus in his divine nature was above the law. But in becoming human, he placed himself under the law. And for 33 years, he fulfilled all of the ceremonial laws, all of the judicial laws, all of the moral laws, and his opponents at every turn tried everything they could within their power to trip him up, but they were helpless to catch him doing anything wrong. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God is the one who orchestrated the birth of Jesus. And Mary was a firsthand witness and participant in this miraculous adventure. And all of this took place so that we could be redeemed and adopted. Again, verses 4 and 5 of Galatians chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, redeem means to buy back. And the law says that we're sinners. All of us have fallen short of God's perfect ideal standard. We've all missed the mark, And that's one of the definitions of sin in the Bible, is to miss the mark. doesn't matter if you miss it by an inch or you miss it by a country mile. Every single one of us have missed the mark. We've all been sold down the river of sin by our human nature. And our payment, and, and the payment is necessary in order to recover us because we're drifting further and further and further from God. And we need to be brought back. We need to be bought back. And this payment would satisfy the just standard of a holy God. Please understand that account, on account of this payment, we become more than just saved sinners. We all in Christ Jesus have received adoption as sons and daughters of God into his family. Christ's sacrifice, think about that. His sacrifice was to make us more than saved sinners. We were intended to be children of God. And that's what John chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us. But as many as received him, when we accept Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation, of Jesus who died on the cross paying the penalty from our sins, the Jesus who went to the grave rose again from the the dead, that, that Jesus who then ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. If we believe in this Jesus, he's our Savior and the Lord of our lives. It says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. More than save sinners. Children of God. And First John 3, verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is they did not know world doesn't know jesus the world doesn't know god the father god the holy spirit we do and therefore we're part of god's family and that's why the world doesn't know us because in christ jesus we are in god's family verse two begins dear friends now we Are children of God. We are in Christ adopted into God's family with a heavenly father. Adoption, in essence, is a legal arrangement whereby those who were in one family are adopted into a second family. Born into one family, but by legal adoption, we are put into another. The family of God. Once we were part of Adam's family, the fallen family, the family of original sin. That's imputed. And in Christ Jesus, we are redeemed and we have a new family. Listen to what Jesus said then should be our response to this great knowledge of what we have in Christ Jesus. He said in verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news now he says is the time to experience redemption and adoption now is the time to receive the gift of salvation now is the time to commit your life to christ now is the time to draw close to god and it seems like we're always waiting for the right time, the right time to finish our schooling, finish our degree, the right time to get engaged, the right time to get married or to have children or to buy a home or the right time to change jobs. or the, It's looking for the right time to have that very important conversation with a loved one or the right time to start thinking about retirement or start saving for a rainy day or start investing for retirement or I could go on and on and on. I have news for you. In Mary's life, it certainly did not seem like it was the right time to conceive a child out of wedlock. So she was so young, maybe 14, 15, perhaps 16 at the oldest, but most Bible scholars think in that 14, 15 year, unmarried in a man's world, in a patriarchal society where she had no say, no no vote, no voice, no nothing. Helpless. And some would have even considered her hopeless in that setting. Even in our culture, For a teenage girl to become pregnant out of wedlock is, in 80% of the cases, is a lifetime sentence to poverty. But Mary said yes to God and his plan for her life, and it made all the difference for the rest of humanity and for all the rest of human history. So I ask you today, are you waiting for the right time to commit your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life? You know, when I was 16 years old, I entertained those thoughts. Because I came to the understanding of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I, I finally, after hearing the gospel many times, realized that's something I needed to do. But I also wanted to party with my friends. I wanted to run around and sow some wild oats and do those things. So I had a notion for a couple of months that I'll do my thing now and later in life I will settle this religion thing. I'll, I'll come to Jesus later on. Well, i got to tell you. For about two months there, it was one of the most miserable times of my life when I was trying to live two lives because I knew what God wanted me to do, but I didn't want to do it because I wanted to do my own thing. And finally, I came to the point where this isn't working, and I surrendered my life to the Lord. And maybe you're waiting right now for the right time to have a clear walk with Jesus. Maybe you're waiting for the right time to surrender a bad habit to the Lord. I want to tell you, now is the time. Now, today is the day. We read in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 6, verse 2, In the time of my favor I heard you, and the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for this marvelous time of the year where churches throughout the world are commemorating your first coming, something that's referred to as Advent, the coming of our Lord. But Lord Jesus, we in the believing church also uh, look forward to your second coming. So we know there's another Advent that we're longing for. and, And once that occurs, we've discovered here today there's not gonna be time. There's not gonna be calendars. There's gonna be just eternity. And God, thank you right now that Jesus came at the right time, that you sent him in the fullness of time through Mary, under the law, so that those who are in Christ could receive the adoption as sons and daughters of Christ. Lord, more than just save sinners. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that's waiting for the right time to receive Christ as Savior and Lord of their life, that they would recognize today is the day. If they're waiting for the right time to surrender those bad habits or those struggles or whatever it is, that they would recognize that today is the is the day. We give this all to you, God, and ask that you would lead us to live lives that would bring glory and honor to you, and we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.